Welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and this is the place to find beautiful and broken companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, here you'll find embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners just like you and me. Today, I'm here to tell the story of Aylred of Riveau with author, pastor, and professor Lauren Winner. I'm pleased that you're here with us. When it comes to relationship advice, we get unexpected guidance from a 12th century monk called Aelred. Nicknamed Friendship's Child, Aelred spent his youth in search of friendship. He said, nothing seemed to me more sweet, nothing more agreeable, nothing more practical than to love. Aelred of Riveau was the noble son and grandson of Christian priests. Born in a medieval Anglican kingdom that's now southeast Scotland. At 14, Aylred was adopted into the court of King David of Scotland as a permanent playdate for the king's sons. His warm, outgoing manner made him an instant favorite in the royal circle. He was promoted all the way to the top spot, master of the household though he'd never been much interested in political power. The schoolboy Aylred was obsessed with his pals. And like many youthful extroverts, Aylred flitted from one charming companion to another before mastering the basics of true friendship. He sought a deep bond, but was, he would say later, often deceived by its mere semblance. Even before Facebook, he quickly discovered that relationships are, well, complicated. At 18, Aylred received an invitation. Some religious guys were setting up a Cistercian monastery, following St. Benedict's rules on manual labor, prayer, and community. Did Aylred want to join up? Somewhere deep inside, Aylred sensed the pull toward God, but still, The prospect of an ascetic, godly regimen off in the backwoods of Revo, North Yorkshire, didn't sound like much. He'd stick with a lively Scottish court, thanks. Six years later, when an errand happened to bring him back to the monastery, Aylred looked around and realized, to his surprise, that Revo felt like his true home. He applied to be a monk the very next morning, ending his stellar courtly career. The change felt like God's calling, but Aylred knew he wasn't cut out for a solitary hermit's life. But to his delight, he found that the Cistercian spiritual fellowship was a complex society all its own. Among the monks, 
This new arrival was reported to be witty and eloquent, a pleasant companion, generous and discreet. Aylred's integrity and natural intelligence, combined with long hours immersed in scripture and prayer, formed him into a true spiritual leader. Before too long, Aylred was elected abbot, and under his direction, Riveau grew to more than 600 monks. Years before, the monastic tradition's founder, Benedict, had called the monastery a school for God's service. Abbot Aylred envisioned the Christian community as a school of love. Aylred taught that the way of love, human and divine, brings vitality, joy, and fulfillment. In Aylred's time, monks were forbidden to show partiality toward individual brothers. And I see some sense in that. People in closed societies tend toward competition and drama under the best circumstances. And Aylred had few illusions about the political circles and religious communities of his time and ours. But in a break with tradition, Aylred encouraged particular spiritual friendships. He said that human friendships are praiseworthy when those relationships help us to love God more fully. Like an experienced big brother who is wise in the ways of the human heart, Aylred holds out the promise of a true friend to whom you can fearlessly entrust your heart and all its secrets. Aylred describes a spiritual friendship that is rooted in the love of God in which the foundation of faith is key. A spiritual friend isn't looking to get ahead. No, that friend weeps with you in anxiety, rejoices with you in prosperity, seeks with you in doubts. Nothing is faked. Everything is in the open. A relationship that grows into something holy, voluntary, and true is one of life's greatest pleasures and reward in itself. It's a wondrous consolation to have someone in whom your spirit can rest, to whom you can simply pour out your soul. Friends who stick close to one another in the spirit of Christ find that, along the way, They help one another to love God more deeply. So long as Christ is at the center, there's a partnership of three. Aylred writes, Here we are, you and I, and I hope a third, Christ, is in our midst. In writings he left behind, Aylred offers practical strategies that rival today's best self-help authors. He even throws in advice on failed relationships. Abbot Aylred lived to the ancient age of 57, and people were astounded. And when his health failed at last, and he was confined to the infirmary, Aylred welcomed the other monks to visit him. One brother, Walter, remembers how he walked and lay about his abbot's bed and talked with him as a child prattles with its mother. Aylred was kind to Walter, saying, Come now, dearest friend, reveal your heart and speak your mind. You have a friendly audience. Say whatever you wish. Aylred was friendship's child, 
to the end. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is the audio companion to my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transformed My Faith. To learn more, visit my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and invite your friends to join us. Now for my conversation about Aylred Arrivo with Lauren Winner. Lauren Winner is a historian, author, lecturer, and Episcopal priest. She is Associate Professor of Christian Spirituality at Duke Divinity School. She writes and lectures on Christian practice, on the history of Christianity in America, and Jewish-Christian relations. Lauren Winner's wonderful books include Girl Meets God, Mudhouse Sabbath, and Still Notes on a Mid-Faith Crisis. Her book on biblical tropes for God is called Wearing God. Her most recent book is The Dangers of Christian Practice. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Lauren to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. Well, Aylred was known as Friendship's Child. All the monks loved to spend time with him, and he was not the typical monastic authority figure. I'm curious to know if you have had any friends or spiritual teachers who remind you of Aylred. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that Aylred was such an interesting leader of this monastic community, in part, in part because, as you say, he was atypical, and then in part because he was so formed by the role of the abbot, um, as it's described in the Rule of Benedict, so he, I think he did have some atypicality, but he was also had been sort of given this tradition that taught him how to be in sort of loving spiritual authority. And part of the tradition for the Cistercians was that the abbots understood themselves to be in parental authority, but they specifically both used paternal and maternal language. So you find all these examples of Cistercian, male Cistercian abbots using uh, mother language to describe their relationship with their communities as well as father language. When I so when I think about the sort of figures of spiritual authority in my own life, it's interesting to me that I don't tend to think in parental terms. I don't know if that if that's because of my relationship with my parents or if that's because that's not the way that nowadays people who are in sort of spiritual leadership positions, Uh, conceive of themselves. But one person who really comes to mind, I mean, I think I think of her more as a big sister role. So I have, I do have familial metaphor for this person's role in my life. One person who comes to mind, and I do have that big sister image around her, or language around her, is a priest who is now actually one of my bishops. And she was the, when I first entered seminary 15 years ago, she was the priest of the church where I did a two-year internship So that was my first relationship with her, was a very explicit mentoring role, and almost everything I know about how to be a priest I learned from her, and I still find my, she has many priestly gifts that I do not have, and that's not because I think I'm totally ungifted, it's just that my gifts as a priest are different from hers, and so I still find myself 15 years later, and having been ordained for 
close to a decade, I often find myself in situations thinking, well, what would she be doing in this situation? Like, let me channel her energy because I know that her energy would would meet this moment in a way that my sort of native and natural energy doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, Aylred, as you said, was the abbot, and he was writing to a medieval community of these dedicated religious men who were all committed to the same rule of life. So in some ways, there was this this one (laughs) demographic. And as a Christian minister, Lauren, um, you're called on to give counsel to your own community, who are probably not all of similar demographics. So I'm curious to know, what do you find in Aylred's words today? What's helpful? What comes across as provocative? What might be impractical for you in your setting? Yeah, that's another great question. And I think for me, the answer to what is helpful is the same answer as the answer to the question, what is complicated about relocating Aylred in our 21st century North American context? And that is his complete clarity that you could not talk about friendship as a Christian without talking about Jesus, that to talk about friendship is to talk about the Christian God. And this is, of course, at a literary level, why and how his text on friendship is different from the classical literature that he had inherited um, on friendship. And so his, his understanding that friendship both begins and ends in God seems really compelling to me. And it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult if you are trying to have a friendship with a (laughs) non-Christian. What does it mean to assert that, that friendship is definitionally bound up with God? And I think probably I would go out on the limb and say something's something's wrong with you if you're not actually having to ask that question. Like hopefully in in our society and culture, everyone has the opportunity to have friendships that cross uh, that cross religious lines. I think it, it then becomes complicated to know how to translate this profound understanding that God is right in the middle of friendship and God is friendship when you are thinking about a friendship with someone who would not subscribe to that view. Lauren, to that point, when I read Aylred with college students, um, they always kind of uh, sit up straight and ask that question. Well, what about my friends who are not Christians, who are not people of faith? Are you saying that I can't be friends with you know, someone who does not share that belief? That's just part of who we are. Um, I think I begin by saying, look, Aylred was speaking to a group of monks who all shared a belief in God. That was a given. And so they all shared this common belief, this common commitment to God. Now, would he say the same to all of us who might not share those commitments? I don't know. I'm curious about that. I might also try the angle of there could be this argument that God is bigger than our own conceptions, that God's presence and God's source as a a source of friendship does not depend on our belief so much as God's being. So I think the richest relationships that bridge difference, whether it's difference of theological commitment, whether you know in our day and age, such a central question is difference of political commitment. Uh, the richest friendships are not are not the friendships that have to evade those differences and step around them but where the difference can become part of what you 
journey toward an interview together. You know, that's way easier said than done, obviously. And I, I think, you know, I'm sort of heartened by your college students because in many ways, we know from sociology for the last 10 or 15 years, the so-called big sort that we more and more surround ourselves with people who are just like us and particularly politically just like us. And so we don't actually get a lot of practice at navigating fundamental differences of worldview with people to whom we are also committed in love. So all of that seems like part of the challenge of, of Aylward in our moment. To me, it's this claim about the centrality of God and friendship is also part of the richness of the text. It's not, in other words, just a text about human friendship. I think it is also a text about friendship as spiritual practice, friendship as part of how we pursue our life with God. And that, I mean, friendship just as a human-human encounter can be plenty rich, obviously. But I think when one begins to ask, what can my human friendship teach me about my life with God? How can my human friendship orient me toward God? That that's just another layer of richness. And of course, the scriptures do that because the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, do use this language of God as friend. In the Old Testament, that's language that's specifically applied to certain heroes of the faith. But of course, in the gospels, we, all of us, are given this language by Jesus, that we are the friend of Jesus. And if you don't have any human friendships, it's hard to know what to make of that, that metaphor for our relationship with God. And then once you do have human friendships, it's, it's a hard metaphor to parse because most human friendships are about mutuality in some way. And what does it mean to think of, you know, mutuality with God? God is is other than us in a fundamental way. And this may be where Aylred's picture of I am an abbot, so I ha there is some hierarchy, there is, there is authority, there are different roles, and yet I am also friend. That might actually be a pretty good picture of what it means to move from a model of human friendship to friendship with the divine, where there's somehow mutuality and difference all, all wrapped into one. Yeah, that makes me wonder, too, thinking back on his text on friendship, which is quite a long book, I think, you know, does he even talk about equality? And he talks about absolute trust. He talks about love and affection and vulnerability, you know, and honesty. But I don't know that I remember really the idea of equality, except that there's this vision of God is in the midst of us. Christ is in, you know, part of this equation. But yeah, I think this language of mutuality about friendship comes more from Aquinas, but part of what I think is instructive about Aquinas's work with this is the sense that, of course, in a straightforward way, there's no equality between me and God, there's no mutuality between me and God, but Jesus says that there is, <laughs> and by, by giving us this, this friendship language. And just as God sort of speaks the world into being, Jesus speaks this mutuality into being. I, this, this is partially a reading I'm borrowing from the theologian Mindy McCant, who has, has some great writing about this. Um, so the sense that Jesus is the bridge who sort of confects this mutuality, I find quite helpful. Yeah, that's really, really good. 
Well, I'm intrigued by Aylred's guidance to um, the person who has discovered that the friendship isn't working out, that they've been betrayed somehow, and they need to unstitch that connection. And he, he advises the person to withdraw your confidence from that person, yet never withdraw your love, refuse your aid, or deny your advice. So you, you, know, you can unstitch the relationship, dissolve it, but you never withdraw that love. So what is your advice to your parishioner who comes to you hurt or betrayed? Certainly that's a real experience for you and people that you know. I think that two individuals, again, if we're talking about Christians, two individuals are not completely responsible for carrying the whole ontology of their relationship. Uh, So this point was actually made to me many years ago about two friends of mine who had dated and broken up and they were both Christians and there was this pressure from some parts of their Christian community that although they weren't going to get romantically back together they still somehow had to reconcile and then another member of that community pointed out that that was like ludicrous and naive and ridiculous and wouldn't be helpful to them. And that maybe one day they could reconcile, but until such time as they could reconcile, they were actually, they were still in a relationship with one another and the relationship was that they were siblings in Christ and the church could carry for them the endurance and, and, and perduring nature of that relationship until such time as maybe they could become post breakup friends. And I, I found that actually a very instructive lesson that I learned through their painful breakup when I sort of observed it in my 20s, that the church actually does carry part of our bonds to one another and that we don't actually have to, to do all of that, that continuing to give counsel, etc., ourselves. Yeah, that's so good. And I feel like, you know, Elred was the leader of this community. He would probably very much agree with you that it was a given that they were all held by this common rule, this common community, this common faith in Christ, and that there was space to um, kind of be apart while being together. Well, and Karen, I think this raises one of the real challenges of translating any of this monastic literature to a non-monastic context. And there's been so much interest in the last, I don't know, 20 or 25 years in sort of taking wisdom from broadly Benedictine monastic life, the the rule of Benedict and so forth, into into our non-monastic context. And I think it's wonderful for those of us who are not monastics to avail ourselves of that wisdom. On the other hand, this is this may be one of the places where we're really talking about something quite different. So if you are a hundred people who are all living together in a shared monastic house, the instruction that your abbot would have to give you about how to continue to get along with one another when you had had a, a serious falling out, that might be quite different. <laughs> from, but there's just a different problem. It's like, that's more like, you know, an extended family where you are sort of stuck being in relationship and perhaps economic relationship and quotidian relationship. And you've got to figure out a way to get those economic quotidian things done. And, and so this is a real difference, I think maybe between the monastic context and my context and your context. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're my friend, Lauren. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> I trust you completely. I think that that is unwise, Karen. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I could say, though, that my friendship with you definitely uh, has taught me more about my relationship with God and been a gift to me. So let's leave it at that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Likewise, very much so. <laughs> thank you for joining me today. Red's ideal was for single guys living in a cloistered communal life far back in the misty medieval past. Yet his teachings on the need for authentic spiritual friendship still ring true today in this secular, sexualized, commercialized, technology-driven world of ours, where friendship, like much of life, feels more complex than ever. Here we are, you and I, and I hope a third, Christ, is in our midst. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Come by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. There you'll find show notes and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. Download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections.